Hour number three is brought to you by Knoxville Smiles. Don't put off your dental visits any longer. Dr. Stephen Malone and his staff take pride in listening to and communicating with their patients to help them make the best decisions about their dental health, and they can do it all at Knoxville Smiles. You can contact them at 865-539-1776 to set up an appointment, but let's face it, you're probably going to want to go to the website and look at it first and, and go from there. You can do that and tour their state-of-the-art West Knoxville facility virtually at KnoxvilleSmiles.com. KnoxvilleSmiles.com. Before we get back to Tennessee basketball, Bob, we did have an update on Lewis Hamilton and his contract. Yes, sir. Um, can you say Rich? Um, well, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Rich. He's going to die trying to spend it. Yeah. Um, Lewis Hamilton will earn over $100 million per year, per year at Ferrari, making him the highest paid F1 driver ever. How many years do we know what his contract was? Don't know the okay. terms, no. Ferrari chairman John Elkin will also put significant money towards Lewis Hamilton's charitable initiatives. How about that? They basically wrote him a blank check. So. If I'm Lewis Hamilton, my ch- I- I'm making a charity that goes tra- straight to my pocket, the Lewis Hamilton uh, Fund. And then I'll, I'll donate por- you know portions of the proceeds to charity as I see fit. I mean, all those F1 drivers are kind of uh, rock stars. They all make great money. They're all rich. But, I mean, this is like – that's a totally different level. That's like almost unheard of at this point. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the exact you know money that this would bring in. But I do know that yesterday, February 1st, Ferrari's stock price was at $340 a share, and that today it's at 390 Yeah. You know, I don't know if that means that they have made $100 million of market share, if that, if that has paid for his one-year salary or paid for the deal or whatever, but I imagine uh, the investors are pretty happy with the 15% jump in one day. Yeah, that's, uh, that's influence, man. That is... Uh... There's there's very few that could say they have that kind of influence. Yeah, yeah. So from a business standpoint, again, it seems like it has uh, moved the needle. Anything from Willow's conversation stand out to you as we look at Tennessee and Kentucky? Like he talked about Josiah Jordan James, and I saw the number breakdown this morning from the guys at VolQuest, but like seeing it laid out was a little jarring because you talk about Dalton Connect against South Carolina and him getting as many shots as he did. I believe it was 24, the most he has gotten this year. Uh, And then you look and it says Josiah Jordan-James in his last four games in 108 minutes has shot 11 times. So you got one guy, and I'm, look, I'm, Don Connect had to shoot on on Tuesday. Nobody else was putting the ball in the basket. Nobody else was wanting to be aggressive. Nobody else was making shots or doing anything offensively. I'm not saying Don Connect was ball hogging. I'm not saying he was shooting too much. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is that in one game, he had more than twice as many shots as a guy that you thought was going to be one of your team leaders and a guy that you thought was going to be maybe the second or third scoring punch. He shot 11 times. In 108 minutes. Again, Sam, 24 shots in like 35 minutes. 
more than double a guy in, in 108 minutes. Twice as many shots in 25% of the in 25% of the minutes. You know, just rough math. Maybe it's more like 30% of the minutes, 33% of the minutes, but still. I thought it was really interesting that he was, you know, potentially calling for Meshack to maybe get the start if if, you know, this kind of production from Triple J kind of keeps coming. Well, it's funny because Meshack zero shot attempts in his 15 yeah. minutes. I mean, it is funny. Like, hey, we're going to replace the guy that can't score and isn't shooting with the guy that sometimes goes out there and has no interest in shooting either. So, like, I would say if you're going to put Meshack in, somebody's got to be willing to shoot the ball. Like, it's one of those things, like, you just got to take a shot to keep the team, keep, to keep the defense honest and look to score and get up five shots. I mean, it's fine. We can live with that. With the pace Tennessee plays at and the shot attempts they get, if you're a starter, if you're a starter, you, you need to be getting at least five shots a game. That's not asking too much. Last season, Josiah, and I think he sat out a little bit last year. He, he had did. A, he had some injuries. He but, sat out a lot of the early season. Yeah. I mean, it was basically SEC play whenever he finally started That's playing. That's right. But he had um, 12, looks like 12 games in double figures in scoring last season. Okay, and that was in an abbreviated season. This year, he's at nine, and I really worry, can he get to 12 to even match that? I, you know, his per-game average last year ended up around 10 points a game. He's down to eight and a half this year. It's not what we anticipated when he was deciding to stay, and particularly the way the season started. Um, you know, he, he, again, started out pretty strong for Tennessee overall. I'm looking back to his games this season, 12 against Tennessee Tech, 14 at Wisconsin, 8 against Wofford, 15 and 12 against Syracuse. Then he kind of did a little bit of a vanishing act against Purdue and Kansas, and then 20 at North Carolina, 15 George Mason, 12 against Illinois. That was a pretty good run. He, we forget he kind of carried the North Carolina State game, 23 points, seven boards. It just feels like that. I can't even remember that now. Five of seven from three in that game, got to the free throw line six times. I mean, that was a game that Connect was uh, – the reports were Connect and Jonas were both sick. They were dealing with a stomach bug, dealing with something. I mean, they, they both played poorly and didn't look right. And you had Josiah and Zakai kind of – I believe Zakai also had a good game that game, kind of stepping up and helping carry that load. But, yeah, I mean, you don't win without the 23 points from James. And then you get, you know, 10 shot attempts in that game, six free throws. You know, that that's a pretty good usage. He's he's getting the ball. He's looking to score. He's being aggressive. And then, yeah, I mean, just the last, last four games, three shots against Florida, three shots against Alabama, two shots against Vandy, three shots against South Carolina. To me, that's just the most head-scratching thing, like, the shooting percentages are bad. I get that. He, he's only made two shots those four games. So of the shots he's actually taken, he's not making them. He's two for 11. But, I mean, it's just a lack of shot attempts. And and, and, and when you lose, it, it's highlighted, right? It's, it, it's magnified whenever you're losing. You start looking at what you could have done differently to make up those points. And then, yeah, you look and you're – when your starters playing a lot of minutes isn't doing anything for you offensively. Yeah, it's true. It's uh, it's tough. You know, we want to see. You know, he's a guy that's played here for a long time. You want to see him ride off into the sunset in a good way, but it, it is a reality. What Will was saying, it's there is a possibility we see him get 
benched at some point here. We saw it to Fulkerson. Yeah, I mean, Fulkerson got benched, and he was every bit of you know as a favorite for Barnes and the fans, and he had paid his dues and you know helped the program grow and all those things. I mean, you could a lot of the things you say about Josiah, you could say about Fulkerson, and he got benched, and he started coming off the bench. Whether or not they make that move for Josiah, because I do still want to point out, like he is still. An effective basketball player. He is. He still does things defensively. He does still do things offensively outside of scoring. But I do think Meshack does a lot of those same things. And also, like, I don't want to say Josiah doesn't play with energy. But, like, Meshack plays with a different level of energy. The scrappiness he brings is a lot different than Josiah. I do think on Saturday, Bob, you will see more Maystack minutes, a similar to like what you saw against Arkansas or excuse me, Alabama, where you know he's kind of out there to guard Sears and he's out there getting minutes and and really able to put an impact on the game defensively. I think you'll see something similar on Saturday with the way they attack Reeves and Shepard at times. I would think you're right. And back to Triple J for one second too. I think in a kind of an unsung stat with him, if you look at like his last eight games, which coincides with a lot of this well it's all the conference games all the offensive ineptitude and everything else and um he's averaged about six to seven boards a game which is you know we use that we throw that term around not for nothing I mean that's those are, that's a decent rebounding total it's just we're stating the obvious but we just hope we could see more offensively from him it's been really disappointing in that regard yeah no I mean he is he is still doing things on the basketball court that are valuable. You know, he is still, again, I'll call him the Draymond Green. He does still do those things. But when you lose, you start looking around and saying you need more scoring. And and Tennessee lost to South Carolina. They didn't score. Yesterday I said it, and I still kind of feel this way. Part of that falls on the rest of his teammates have to pick him up. Like, if, if Zakai comes out and scores 12 points, Tennessee wins that game. If Vescovy scores an extra five or six points, Tennessee wins that game. If Jonas has a better game, Tennessee wins that game. And maybe we're not looking at Josiah Jordan James sideways and saying, hey, score the ball more. But on the flip side, if James does give you six or seven points, you win that game as well. So, like, if the teammates are struggling, you do hope that he has it in him to have to flip a gear and be like, I got to go score some buckets for you. I got, I got, I got to take over for a couple minutes here and lead this offense and get to the rim and and put my head down. He did do it at one stretch. You know, he, his only bucket of the game was when Tennessee was in a drought and he got to the the low block and hit his little turnaround jumper. But like he didn't go back to it. Here's an interesting stat cut. Compliments of Jordan Moore. Triple J in Tennessee's five losses, six point four points per game. A half an assist per game, five and a half rebounds per game, 1.8 steals, field goal percentage. In five losses, he's shot 32 times, 37.5%, three of 16 from three point range. Fine at the line, five of six. But do you have the numbers in the in wins? Uh, no, I do not. Okay, because the 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 point total doesn't really surprise me because I mean that's not that far off from just his season average. True. But, like, the assist number, you said he averaged half an assist in Tennessee's losses. To me, that's the the damning part is yeah. maybe he's not creating the offense for you either in Tennessee losses. Like, you need him to be a little bit better. He had three assists against South Carolina. But, yeah, like, I expect him to kind of create some looks for people. 
Yeah. If he's not going to score. Because, you know, again, to go back to the Draymond Green comparison, when Draymond's out there, at least he's getting you, you know, 10 rebounds, six or seven assists while playing that defense. Josiah has to at least do other things. And what's crazy is, again, and we, we talk about this and we try not to read too much into it, but in the Alabama and Florida wins, you know, he – We've talked about it. Three points against Florida, one point against Alabama, yet his plus-minuses were 20, 27 against Alabama. No, 24 against Alabama, 27 against Florida. I mean, it's like there's some level of efficiency that he can bring that we're just not seeing. And it's like what you said, John. There's some intangibles that do have value. Oh, yeah. No, he's still a very valuable player. Like yeah. the, the people that grade players and look at the efficiency numbers and look at the, the net rating and offensive rating and defensive rating and look at all the stuff more than wins and losses and how many points you scored still rate Josiah very highly as a player. But it goes back to what I said, that ultimately it's about wins and losses and no one wants to hear about what you did <laughs> intangibly when you lose. No I, one needs a glue guy when you lose. The, the glue guy doesn't matter in losses. Glue guys get celebrated when you win. Yeah, I think it was uh, the the Alabama game where I made a comment that oh no, it was the Vanderbilt game where I made the comment that he his biggest play his biggest contribution that I saw in the Vandy game was there was a loose ball and it was critical point in the game he dove for it tipped it back out to the backcourt we got the ball again scored and I was like that was the highlight for him and it's you know again that's a great glue guy play but that was it and that's team needs more man and yeah when you bat the ball out and i believe it connect went and tracked it down and came down and hit yeah. a three i think is how that yeah. sequence ended but yeah whenever his teammates make shots that looks good the problem is when your teammates don't make shots you don't need a glue guy you need somebody that scores <laughs> you know you can be a great passer sam but if i put five passers out there and no one's take a shot it's just gonna be shot clock violation after shot clock violation if nobody if everyone's trying to pass and no one's hitting shots great pass no finish so his teammates did kind of let him down. It's just been a little jarring because, you know, you look back to the end of last year for him. It wasn't great, but like 11 shot attempts against FAU, 12 shot attempts against Duke, eight in the first round against, uh, was it Louisiana we played? Yes. I forgot we only won that game by three points. Yeah. But, I mean, like you saw aggression. Those are three games where he shot, what, 31 times? Yeah. Three games. Roughly, we'll just call it 95 minutes, 31 shots. I just told you he's played 108 minutes and shot the ball 11 times in four games. What the hell has happened? And it's not like the opportunities aren't there. It's not like, hey, Don Connect's shooting the ball all the time. There's no shots for anybody else. That's not the case. He's pa he's passing up open looks. He's not what even wanting to shoot. Anyways, we'll do our weekend bet away with Eli Herskovich from... The Lions U.S., is that the right? Lions the Lions U.S., The yes. Lions U.S. We'll talk to him next after the break. Stick with us. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. So we're heading into a pretty big weekend. We've talked about it a lot. A lot of college basketball that uh, – it's going to feel a little bit like deep March tournament time. Some really great matchups. And so for those of you who are so inclined to maybe do a little recreational investing uh, on some of these games, we, uh, we like to bring some support and help there. Joining us 
today for another week is Eli Hershkovich, who is with the Lines US, um, smart wagering expert, certainly better than I. Um, but uh, Eli, just wanted to say welcome. Happy Friday. Yeah, happy Friday, guys. Thanks for having me back on. Happy Friday to everybody but every single member of the Baltimore Ravens. Well, I was going to say, Eli, I was going to say, before we got to college basketball, <laughs> I when I got here on Friday last week, I tried to warn you about the Taylor Swift effect. I tried to warn you about the Chiefs and the <laughs> NFL. And I'll be honest, you completely talked me into the Ravens, and I lost a lot of money on Sunday. That's fair. I lost my Ravens bet. I lost my Ravens futures. Lamar Jackson was fraud. Kind of, reg- yeah. Was he was bad? He regressed. Todd Munkin not running the ball with his running backs against the worst or one of the worst rushing defenses in the NFL cost us all a lot of money. I think. Yeah. What was the deal with that? Was that just a, a case of a coach trying to be too smart and be too cute, or was it like, hey? We're going to get to the Super Bowl, and we're going to do it with our quarterback, who you have called a running back and said couldn't throw. We're going to let him carry us. Was that just like a Lamar Jackson statement, or was it a coach getting too cute and trying to outthink his opponent? I thought it was more of the former. Just, I mean, you go back to the, the Bills-Chiefs game, and Bills running back James Cook didn't have the best game on the ground. Backup Ty Johnson had some explosive carries, but it was more so Josh Allen. So it kind of felt like the Ravens were saying, all right, well, the Chiefs were able to stop the Bills' backfield in terms of their actual running backs, so we're going to let Lamar do his thing, and maybe the Chiefs are a little more vulnerable than the metrics say, especially because the Bills didn't necessarily try to generate a ton of explosive passing plays, and when they did, Stephon Diggs dropped the ball. So, yeah, it kind of felt like Munkin got too cute, and when the game got to a two-possession lead for Kansas City. That's when we saw Lamar look like Lamar from a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, especially going back to that divisional round loss in Buffalo, what, the year after he won the MVP, first MVP. Well, I just before we talk to college basketball, I just wanted to thank you for, for ruining all the Taylor Swift songs for me because now when I hear it, I'm going to think <laughs> about how I missed out on an opportunity to get Patrick Mahomes at plus money and plus the points because of you, Eli. So thank you. Well, <laughs> well, you could do it again this Super Bowl. How about that? You got another week and a half to get down all the money you want as Mahomes as a dog. I still uh, love I'll you. The, I'll see if the plasma center will will take <laughs> me and let me come in. All right, let's get to some college basketball. Yeah. So obviously, we've been talking about it. There's um, there's four games this weekend that pair what are the current uh it's currently eight of the top 10 ranked teams in the country now some of those teams are coming in off the heels of a loss but they're all big name brand teams too for the most part so should be uh should be a fun weekend in college basketball so i'd love to get your take i'll just rattle them off in order you know on saturday we've got houston at kansas we've got duke at carolina we have one that's of particular interest here tennessee at kentucky and then we have Purdue going to Madison, Wisconsin to take on uh, the Badgers in a game where both teams, I believe, now are tied for first in the Big Ten. Yeah, heck of a college basketball slate. I want to start off with one that only includes one ranked team, though, really quickly here. And it's the number one team in college basketball, the defending national champs, 
the UConn Huskies. I will say, you want to give me crap about my Ravens, that's fine. Or maybe my Ravens from last year, this past season, just because I am no longer a Ravens futures ticket holder. But I had a bet on the Huskies to win it all last year at around 60, 50 to 1, some number like that, going back to the beginning of the season. So college basketball features, especially early in the year, I've had a lot of success with. And Despite me betting the Huskies last year, I think this year's version of UConn is a little fraudulent. And it's not a must-win spot for St. John's, but a pretty big game for the Johnnies. And I have a preview coming up later today over at thelines.com, breaking down St. John's UConn. One of the bigger areas where you can exploit the Huskies, even though they have a very good up-and-coming big man in Donovan Klingon, and Clint Kong, one of the more imposing centers in college basketball. St. John's is one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country. Joel Soriano is an elite offensive rebounder in his own right, and the Red Storm had the fourth highest offensive rebounding percentage in terms of an actual statistic in college basketball. So if St. John's can attack the paint in terms of the offensive glass and also attack UConn's drop coverage with Klingon, St. John's has one of the best mid-range shooting teams in the country, led by Iona transfer Denise Jenkins. That's my upset of the day. I am a little hesitant, and we can, we'll get into Tennessee, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina. I'm hesitant to pick the potential upsets in those respective games, assuming the underdogs line up like I think they will, will in terms of the betting odds. But I really, really, really like Patino and the Johnnies this Saturday. What are we projecting that line to be at tomorrow, around five and a half, six? I think it it could be around high two possessions, to your point, maybe five and a half, six. I think it may open around closer to four and a half. Four, yeah, yeah okay. four, four and a half. And I actually make this, my numbers make this around UConn minus two. So, I like I said, I'm not super bullish in terms of my own uh, my own power ratings and my own numbers juxtaposed to the way the betting market perceives UConn and St. John's for that matter. And I also, earlier in the week, I bet St. John's to make the Final Four right around 22-1. to one. Uh, Kind of a buy-low opportunity on this team. You have one of the most experienced coaches in college basketball. You have a veteran-laded roster that dealt with COVID and also just dealt with zero minutes continuity going into this year. So I think St. John's is about to peak. And even if, let's say, this is a close game, another close game loss, which has been the story for St. John's and Big East play, you have two games against Georgetown. You have two games against DePaul. Pretty light schedule the rest of the way. I have no concerns, really, with St. John's making the NCAA tournament. So this is more so just a buy-low opportunity on the number with St. John's, not only for the point spread in this game, but Final Four features as well. Um, it it okay. does seem kind of fitting that on a weekend that Bob laid out four top ten teams playing each other, <laughs> that Rick Patino could come out of the weekend as the story in college basketball. I was going to say that. I think that, uh, you know, now you got me kind of juiced about this game, too, with uh, the point that you think Connecticut might be a teeny bit overrated. They're going to be playing in the Garden. It's kind of tough to, to bet against Patino in that kind of scenario, for sure. That's That's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, and we've seen Patino teams come together at the right time. Obviously, much more talented Louisville team going back to 2013, and maybe not super talented Iona teams over the last few years, but still NCAA tournament 
caliber teams, and I think he took them to the dance twice. You're going to get a lot of UConn fans at MSG for sure. They're going to pack the place, but I think this is going to be more so 50-50 than most think, or at least comparably speaking to what we've seen UConn guarding games in, in recent years. So when we do look at Tennessee, Kentucky, is there a lean for either side or for a over-under projection? Is there anything you're seeing as maybe having value, or is it such a coin flip that for gambling purposes it's a stay away? Well, I think it's a stay away for me just because of all the uncertainty for Kentucky, at least as we're talking about this game right now. DJ Wagner and Justin Edwards, both of those guys dealing with injuries. Neither of them played with Florida. Also, you're getting a pissed-off Kentucky team going back to that Gators game, Gators loss. First Florida win, by the way. Incredibly, uh, first road win over a top-10 team since 03. And we're talking about a back-to-back national championship team going back to the mid, what, last couple decades ago when Billy Donovan led Florida to consecutive national titles. So pretty wild, but... Yeah, I was I was surprised that Kentucky didn't foul up three with less than 10 seconds to go. But that's kind of Cal being Cal. But to my point, you're getting a very motivated spot here for, for the Wildcats. But health concerns with Wagner and Edwards and also just the fact that Kentucky played and had to play a lot of their guys 40-plus minutes without Wagner and Edwards against the Gators. You had Dillingham cramping late in that game. I know he finished the game on the court, but Reed Shepard playing all 45 minutes. My one concern with Tennessee matchup-wise and numbers-wise, if you look at their transition defense, and much different Kentucky team than what we saw last year when the Wildcats swept, swept the Vowels, and yes, you have a very explosive score in Dalton Connect, as you guys well know, that Tennessee didn't necessarily have last season, but the Vols transition defense is very, very, very exploitable. I brought up how UConn's a bit vulnerable on the offensive glass. Tennessee ranks in the 19th percentile, and when you think about percentiles, 99th is considered elite, and first percentile, the first percentile is considered pretty bad. So Tennessee's transition defense is on the lower end of things in college basketball. That's where Kentucky was able to take advantage in both of those games last year along with the offensive glass when they had Shibway. And I think that may be an issue against a really, really explosive Kentucky offense here yet again on Saturday night at Rupp. Yes, Kentucky has the health concerns. And yes, their defense is below league average and then some still just inside the top 100 in adjusted defensive efficiency. But I have my concerns with Tennessee's transition defense Counter to what we saw with South Carolina, I still can't believe Tennessee lost that game, by the way. I'm sure you guys are still in shock, too, is around a 13.5-point favorite. But transition defense is my worry when it comes to betting Tennessee at Rupp. Yeah, Eli, you you were giving me good memories. I was thinking about Coach Calipari choking away that national championship by not fouling (laughs) up three. And I was thinking, you know, there's one coach that should have learned – Foul when I'm up three, especially in college with, you know, six seconds or less. Yeah. And then you had to break up the South Carolina game and choking that one away. So I was going to ask, and I'm going to now, gambling lines and, you know, consumer confidence when it comes to coaches like Calipari, is he still getting inflated from past success? You know, the past Kentucky teams from six, seven, eight years ago that were elite and were good. 
and is, is that still getting baked into the line, or is it now getting kind of judged as like, hey, it's Kentucky, but it's not the same level of Kentucky that you might used to be a comp- uh, you know, accustomed to? It's a really good question. I mean, you go back to, just to kind of use the example of Coach K at Duke, and you go back to that Final Four game with UNC Duke, Caleb Love hitting the shot that's going to be dug into Duke fans' braids. So at least you don't have that bad memory as a Tennessee yeah. fan. But then again, Rick Barnes has to get to the Final Four for you guys. Okay, so Eli. Okay, I hear you. <laughs> God, now it's coming from other parts of the yeah, country. Yeah, I, I hear you. Exactly, exactly. But back to my point, maybe a little bit in terms of market inflation with Kentucky, just in terms of its brand name. But I will give Cal credit because this year Kentucky – Granted, it's about par when it comes to their three-point attempt rate, but it's much better than what we've seen in recent years and really over the last decade from Kentucky. Cal has kind of shifted his offensive approach. So uh, to that point, Kentucky, one of the more explosive offenses in the country, not just because of their transition offense, but their perimeter offense is pretty elite as well. Antonio Reeves has really, really made a step as one of the best-scoring wings in the country. So I don't want to take that away from Calipari, but defensively and late game coaching uh, decision-making is still not baked into the line, but still kind of in question with him, uh, you know, going back to that Florida game. Eli Herskovich, the lines.com sounds like your best bet, at least in the marquee college basketball slate as UConn goes down. St. John's hangs with them close and wins outright. Is there anything else you're targeting? Yeah, you mentioned Purdue, uh, Wisconsin. I, I still cannot believe, speaking of blown leads, that Wisconsin blew that against Nebraska last night. Heck of a comeback for the Huskers and Fred Hoiberg. And a Badgers team, when you go at the Kohl Center now, going back home, motivational spot, kind of similar to the same tune as Kentucky. Granted, it's not like the Vols are going to be looking to bounce back as well after that, or not going to be looking to bounce back after that South Carolina loss not to continue to lament on it, but (laughs) with Wisconsin, my concern with the Badgers against Purdue and kind of what we saw late in the second half against a decent Cornhuskers front court, the Badgers rank around average across college basketball post-up defense. And you guys well know Purdue has the best big man in the country in Zach Eady. So we saw it against Northwestern and Purdue's uh, Eady probably could have put up around 40 points had he not missed what, nearly double-digit free throws, and that's, that was against the Northwestern defense. That is pretty solid in terms of their post-up defense. So I think Wisconsin could struggle in that regard, but still pretty good bounce-back spot for the Badgers and A.J. Store. I don't have Wisconsin power-rated as a top-10 team, but I still have them top-15. And uh, it, depending on what this line is, because you mentioned maybe market tendencies with Kentucky – the market has swayed towards Big Ten home teams this year, and rightfully so, because Big Ten home teams have dominated, dominated like we saw with Nebraska last night. So depending on where this number opens up, maybe if Wisconsin is around one and a half, two, I would shy away. But pick them, slight underdog. I think you could take a pretty nice motivational spot here situationally with the Badgers. Hey, sticking with Big Ten for a second, Eli, you just mentioned it. So, you know, Nebraska gets a big win last night. They've beaten two top five teams roughly with Wisconsin and Purdue. They go on the road on Sunday as well at Illinois. 
Um, but we, you just mentioned it. Uh, home teams are showing some some power in the Big Ten. But can Nebraska kind of keep the magic going? Do you think in a game like that? It's a good question, and I would probably say no. That's now I, I say that with a caveat that the line for that game is probably going to open near double digits, close uh, probably around the same number, just because I would expect the market to maybe fade Nebraska off of that loss. Now, with that said, I'm not super, or at least as high on Illinois as maybe college basketball voters are when it comes to the AP Top 25 poll, but I just don't like that situationally for Nebraska, coming off of an emotional win and then some in overtime going up against Illinois at home, to your point. Maybe not the most elite defense inside the top 30 when it comes to adjusted defensive efficiency, and those are the metrics I like to look at when you look at not just overall defensive efficiency but adjusted per the average opponent and also strength of schedule and all that stuff and looking at Illinois offense though top five in adjusted offensive efficiency and Nebraska's transition defense to that point can be exposed like we saw in the first half when Wisconsin was really rolling last night so I know there are questions about Terrence Shannon Jr. off the court he's back for Illinois though pretty switchable big in Coleman Hawkins Uh, you guys took care of Illinois in Knoxville when the Illini came to town back in December. I thought that was a good spot to fade the Illini off of that FAU win at Madison Square Garden. Speaking of New York and the Johnnies and UConn and whatnot, but I like Illinois here in this game at least to win the game outright. I'm not saying to bet them as a nine-point favorite just because that can get kind of dicey with late-game free throws and all the kind of late-game variants you can get from a betting standpoint, but I don't think the Nebraska magic continues now. Yeah, last question. I, I need to know, did you get bad beated? Bad beat? Bad, did you get bad beat by the late free throw or late three-pointer by Kansas after the missed free throw by Iowa State? Because your analysis on the, the game was perfect. Yeah, yeah. I got the I got the opener on that one. I got Iowa State minus three and a half. That's what I was hoping. Okay, good. He, yeah, and listen, the, I think this is great advice for your listeners for – your viewers, and I've talked a lot about openers during this, throughout this conversation uh, for each game. And I, the one opener, or at least the one betting market that I have in question where it's going to open up is Kentucky, Tennessee, just because of all the question marks around Kentucky's injury report. But I, you look at that game, and that was where you pointed out perfectly that Iowa State should have covered and was in position to cover for pretty much maybe midway through the first half onward against Kansas. But that is a situation where late-game variance happens. You get Kansas just going uh, absurd from three over the last two minutes and change in that game, and that's where you can get bad beat it in college basketball when you're talking about not a pick em. so essentially who to bet on to win the game outright or even over slightly over a full possession where, where the line opened Iowa State minus three and a half and closed around minus four and a half, five. So you really want to try to target openers if you believe the number is going to go up. And that may seem surface level, but like we saw with Iowa State, nothing is a lock. Got to get line value, and hopefully people listened to this last Friday and got Iowa State as soon as it opened and didn't get on the wrong side of that bad beat. I could talk about this for hours, but we kept you too long. Appreciate you, Eli. TheLines.com. Follow him on X at Eli Herskovich. Appreciate your time. 
Yeah, good luck, guys. Hopefully no bad beats with St. John's or for your balls this weekend. No bad beats. No Thank bad you, beats, and hopefully balls on the money line <laughs> comes through. Appreciate you. Have a good one, guys. Yeah, I would, I would love just to keep asking gambling questions, but yeah. we, already we, we told him 10 minutes when we went 20s. But I, I like the UConn-St. John's pick the more I listen yeah, to well, it. Here's what, I'll, here's what I'll say about that. If, if, I, if I ride with this, and then that, that vampire Rick Patino sucks all my money out from me, me and Eli's going to have some problems. Uh, that's the bad part about being someone who comes on here and, and is confident in his picks and research and you know knows, and it's a thankless job. It's not like I'm going to send Eli any of my money if I win the best. I'm going to be like, hey, here's a tip. Thanks, man. He's just going to get blame. And unlike what Butch Jones said, praise and blame, it's all the same, which he got from Drake. It's not the truth. Praise and blame are not the same. They're not. They're not. Praise is nice. Blame is blame is worse. Shame is worse. But yes, let's ride with the what's the Saint John the Red? What is their name? The Red Storm? What are the, the Red Storm? The Red Storm. I was going to call them the Reddies, but I was like, that doesn't sound. Nah, right. they used the Johnnies to be the, are better. Used to be the Red Men. Now they're the Red Storm or the Johnnies. Okay, they're the Johnnies. Okay, I was going to call them Johnnies, not the Reddies. Yeah, the Johnnies. I didn't know if that was them or not. Okay, that's them. Yeah, the Johnnies. That'll be that'll be an electric environment though, because UConn travels well to New York. They'll bring a huge fan base and playing in the Garden. That'll that'll feel like old times. That should be a good game. I liked his nickname for their center, Clean Kong. That was good. Yeah. I would Kong. love to have I love that. that. Yeah, I've I would love to have that. that. No. Yeah, that was good. Choked a little bit. I, I'm usually good at predicting the spreads. I went too high with the five and a half or six. He probably thinks I'm an idiot now because that <laughs> probably gonna be more like three and a half, four. Uh, we, blew it. We talk about announcers. I'm guessing Gus Johnson's. It's a Fox mm-hmm. game, so we'll be hearing Gus screaming. Love, that. Love yes, that. I know. Gus at noon, and they'll do a big piece on Rick Patino's redemption and paint him as such a good person, and that'll be great to watch. Unless St. John's loses and gets blown out, in which that case, I will not enjoy the. The Rick Patino redemption story. I'll send Rick Patino a, a bill for what he's going to owe me if he doesn't take care of business. But yeah, that was a great job by Eli. I love talking gambling. Let's go to break. We'll come back. We will get you to the weekend, or at least get you to the 10 o'clock hour. You'll still have to work, but I'll be done for the day. Stick with us. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. All right, let's put our final thoughts on paper on wax, on the airwaves, about Tennessee, Kentucky. Sam, is there anything you want to add about the game before we move on? Um, I think maybe just, uh, you know, looking at kind of some uh, the production from your big men. Uh, I think, you know, obviously you had a tough game for Adu, you know, against South Carolina, and you needed a walker to step up and stuff like that. I think Kentucky's got some talented big men, so I think kind of, those guys staying out of foul trouble early and, and being able to stay into the game, I think, is kind of a key for me early on. Yeah, I do worry about the rupperies. I do worry about yeah. Jonas staying out of foul trouble and just not getting called mm-hmm. uh, properly. He was physical in that Alabama game and was able to. Getting yeah. off to a decent start for me, too. I feel like we've kind of gotten off to a slow start in the start of these SEC games, and I don't think that's a great recipe for success, being on the road in rub. Yeah. Now, if they, you feed that Kentucky crowd with a slow start, that's not going to be good. Well, that's what's happened the last two times we've gone. We've got off to terrible starts. They right. ran us yeah. out of the gym two years ago, and then last year they were up, what, 18, 19, 20 at halftime? Like, you just couldn't do anything in the first half, and yeah, they ran away from you. And you did make a little bit of a comeback, but, you know, had dug yourself too big of a hole. So, yeah, fast start seems crucial. I don't like, the, I don't like Tennessee's spot in this game. 
An 8.30 tip-off just seems like bad news for the road team, honestly. Give them all day to get ready for it and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, plus, I mean, that just happened with when we were number one in the country. Wasn't that like an 8.30 start or an 8 o'clock start whenever we lost with Admiral and Grant? I feel like that was an 8.30 or 9 o'clock start, too. Like, it just – Yeah. I can't remember. You might be right, though. Yeah, right? it just feels like a bad spot for Tennessee to be in. If I'm going to go on the road, I want to be there, like, at noon or 2. That was a bit of an unspoken of moment, too. We we analyzed that South Carolina game to death. But one thing you just made me think of it, Sam, when we talk about Adu getting into foul trouble was um, him getting his first foul on Tuesday night in the first minute of the game. It was questionable, the call, but it was a foul. And so then you're already walking on eggshells with him because, you know, as the conventional wisdom goes when he gets – if he gets a second before the halfway mark, he's going to sit, and it's only a minute into the game, not even. God, that's 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 my worst fear is something like that happening in a position where we don't have much depth. Um, Jordan Moore, we're going to put a bow on Josiah Jordan-James. We've spent a lot of time talking about him, but, John, you asked the question about – we talked about how he performed in Tennessee's losses, but uh, we were saying, what about the wins, and Jordan delivered – in Tennessee's 15 wins a season, Triple J has averaged nine points a game, two and a half assists a game, seven boards, a steal, shooting 38% from field goal range. Um, so the scoring goes up, the yeah. assists go up, which, you know, obviously you're probably going to have more assists whenever you win because your team's going to score more points. So I got, you know, some of those are correlated and, you know, causated and all those things. I don't even know if causated is a word, but you know what I mean. It's not. But yeah. You know yeah. what I mean. But they, to me, the, the half assist and losses, that does stand out. Like, he's not even being aggressive at playmaking either. Well, that, again, you've, you've used that uh, analogy before. You know, we talk about it. Glue guy, our version, uh, kind of of a Draymond Green type. That line in the wins, that's that feels like that, right? Yeah. That's That's much more in line. So, Here's hoping that can happen. Let's get this guy back on track. That would be great. And just for the record, I vote, Sam, you can be the tiebreaker, that if I know it's not a word and I call out it's not a word, that that takes away Bob's sting of saying it's not a word. Because I, I knew it wasn't, or I was feeling very confidently it wasn't. Okay? I'm with you, John. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. If you can say immediately after it's not real, then it's not. Right. It's not real. Yeah, I was like, but you know what I meant by saying causated, right? Mm-hmm. You, you understood what I was going for. Yes. That's uh, I, th- I think there. I've used efforting before, which is really not a word either. But I know so, what you mean when you say that yeah, you're efforting out yeah. there. So it's okay. <sighs> yeah. The audience has already accepted that I'm not the smartest when it comes to words. Fait accompli. <laughs> it's already happened. I don't know if that works there in that, in that example. But I'm working on it, Bob. I'm uh, working on you'll, it. You'll find a place. You'll get it. Do you have any thoughts on Tennessee, Kentucky that you need to get off that you haven't said yet? Um, no, I, I, I'm not, I'm kind of like what Eli said in the the betting segment. I, I, I'm not quite sure where to go with it, to be honest with you. It's a, it's a, it's a hard one. Um, again, I'm of, I want to be of the belief that Tennessee most times bounces back off of a loss with something pretty special. Uh, they're going to need it tomorrow. So I hope that's the case, but I, I'm not saying I'm a hundred percent confident we're going in that direction. Gambling wise, like I, I think the spread's going to be as pretty close to a pick'em. You know, I think after Tennessee lost, I was kind of leaning towards Kentucky being a slight favorite, like one one and a half points. But then Kentucky lost, so I, I think it's kind of back to coin flip. I think it's going to be within one point, one and a half points either way. 
do you really feel confident that Tennessee is going to go there and get a fair whistle? Do you really feel confident about that? And that, the, that players that look scared on Tuesday against South Carolina are going to be locked and loaded and focused against Kentucky? I hope so. I hope so. I don't know if I'd put any money on it. With that being said, if I was going to bet on this game, whatever Tennessee's team total is would probably be pretty appealing. If it's, as long as it's like in the mid seventies, like I think Tennessee is going to score over over seventy five, seventy six points. Like I, you know, if it's in the eighties, I'd maybe balk at betting on that. But I do think Tennessee can get to the eighties. I'm pretty sure Kentucky's been giving up like eighty four a game in SEC play. Yeah, so, so I mean, like with their pace too, and I mean they're scoring a lot of points in SEC play themselves. So like the over under might end up being around yeah. one hundred seventy or one hundred seventy, one hundred sixty five points at least. So like maybe the team total will be like eighty two, and yeah. that'd be a little scary. I'll tell you what my biggest fear is in that game. And we joke about it because we've talked about it, but is this the game where Calipari unleashes Big Z and plays a bunch of minutes and the guy that, – that would that would actually, as much as uh, Sam and I hyped him after his first game, that would, that would bother me, really bother me because the guy's done nothing since that game. But you just never know with Cal. He could – throw something out there like that that we weren't expecting uh i i want to say i like tennessee i really do particularly particularly if those other guys wagner and edwards sit sam may be right they may have just been getting some rest for a bigger game but i don't know I, i i i do like tennessee but i don't say it with the utmost confidence like i'm gonna go bet on it and everything else it's a tough one I'm confident Tennessee is going to score points, and I'm confident Dalton Connect's going to score at least 28 or so. Like I would be pretty surprised if he didn't get into the 30s himself. Whether or not that equals a win, I don't know, man. Like winning winning on the road in college basketball is tough, and you're going to one of the places that Tennessee has struggled more than anywhere, you know, in their entire existence. So I know they're not the Kentucky of old. I get that they're not as good as they have been, but. Is there anything worse? Is there anything worse as a sports fan than when you lose a game and it is because of what you said, Bob? Some random player adding in and, and having a moment where he, you know, doubles his scoring average and hit shots and and does those things. Because me, to me, that's the worst thing. See Ryan Klein. I wasn't going to mention the name. No, but I'm yes, telling no, you're, you. No, you're right. Yeah, I mean, that's, he comes to mind for it. But I mean, there's, yeah, yeah I mean, it's him. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's that that's the one that comes to mind for me. I agree. I think that's it's horrible. It's horrible. I don't even remember, I guess, Carson Edwards. If Carson Edwards had scored 35 or 40 points in that game, you're like, okay, that's a an All-American type of player. He got off, whatever. Yeah. But, like, yeah, a guy that averaged 12 points a game going for 27 or whatever it was and just hitting three after three, yeah, that's the most frustrating thing. I didn't mean to end the week on such a sad note. So, <laughs> Dalton Connect, 35 points. I, I I will say that, if and it's – a little bit of stating the obvious, but let's get it out there and have some hope. Is if Connect does like 30, 35 points, Tennessee wins. Boy, the legend just grows with that guy. I mean, it, that's when he, I actually think he starts to get some traction in this player of the year conversation, too, more than he has already. Yeah, when you're looking for player of the year, this is a big moment for him because it's going to be after the Carolina Duke game. It's got a good lead in. It's going to be a college basketball is going to do some pretty good rating numbers now that the NFL is gone. And I assume college basketball emperors had this in mind. Like, hey, this is the first weekend where football is not going to be played. Let's maximize what we can do. Here are four top ten matchups. 
And then we're also sending UConn, a defending champion, to Rick Patino, which you knew was going to be a marquee game as well. So good job on whoever made the schedule because college basketball is going to be front and center and they are going to deliver on matchups. Absolutely. Let's do some uh, quick best and worst before we wrap up. Best and worst of the week. Best and or worst of the week. Sam, you got anything that stood out this week either way? Um, to me, you know, I may be a little biased, but I am absolutely stoked about the uh, coaching hires that, that Callahan has made under this staff for the Titans. Just went out yesterday and got his dad, uh, Bill oh, yeah, Callahan. Oh, about that. I'm getting his dad to come coach the offensive line is yep. a big deal. Got his dad to come coach the offensive line. Um, a little un- I'm a little underwhelmed by the offensive coordinator hire. Though. Offensive coordinator is a little underwhelming, I think. Um I'm excited about the wide receiver coach, Tyke Tolbert, too. That's a guy that's, you know, had a lot of guys that he's, you know, had a, a big impact on kind of throughout their career. So I'm excited of the the new staff that, that the Titans are really kind of coming together right now. Any worst? Uh, Gerald Mincy. I don't like what he's doing over there in Kentucky. I think he needs to that's keep good. his mouth he's shut. He's not even going to play the damn game. He'll be out. He'll be he'll, he'll, <laughs> he'll quit the team or he'll be hurt. He won't be playing. There's a 10% chance, 15% chance he's even playing that game. Bob, your best and worst of the week? Uh, my best, and very quickly, we've beaten it up, but um, it's great to have a uh, university administration that is uh, kicking ass and taking names, yeah, basically. So awesome. good on Donde and Danny. Um, worst is billionaire Peter Thiel and a group of venture capitalists are funding the Enhanced Games, which is going to be Olympic-style competition that al- that allows performance-enhancing drugs. Sounds we have, cool to me. We have always kind of said, like, let's see how far the body can go. Like, I want to see, like, you know, just how big and strong and fast these guys can get if they're allowed to cheat. I I don't know if they'll actually attract any big-time athletes. Though. Uh, uh, Rob McElhenney from uh, Always Sunny and Welcome to Wrexham has already said, please let me do a documentary on this. He's <laughs> he's reached out to yeah, the deal already. The, the, the people who will partake in that are going to be the most insufferable people. Like, yes. Yeah, so, like, it's it's going to feel like a like spinoff of Jersey Shore or something like that from the early okay. 2000s. Yes. My best and worst of the weekend – my best hasn't happened yet, but the return of Curb Your Enthusiasm, the final season on Sunday. Yes. I'm excited to uh, watch Larry do his thing one more time. My worst of the weekend, uh, the nerds and whoever put together the NBA All-Star teams to, to leave Trey Young off the team is just, that's yeah. the worst thing. 20, 27 and 11. <laughs> 27 and 11. Since when is that not all-star material? 27-11. If you look at his numbers across the board, they're better than Dame Lillard. It's not It's not Trey Young's fault he doesn't have Giannis on his team. So you can't even say, well, it's because they're not winning. Dame Lillard's not the reason the Bucks are winning. It's Giannis. He's better at everything than Dame Lillard at this point. Better at defense, too. Anyways, that's the worst of the weekend. Got a big week next week. It's obviously leading into Super Bowl. We're going to have a couple special guests. More to come on that, but we're very excited for that. Be talking a lot about the big game. Stay locked in on Fan Run Radio.